and our lives matter and they count. And sometimes the person we think is the least significant may be the most strategic. So I think, you know, that gives me hope. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javit, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hello and welcome back to Our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javit. Today, I am joined by our guest that was here last week as we continue to talk about manhood. I am uh, very pleased to I have our guest again with us. We have Callum Custis James with us, the author of Maelstrom, focuses on the counterculture design that God has for men. Before we jump in, I want to invite you to listen to the previous episode. This is just the continuity of that episode. So welcome back, Callum. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be back again and in discussion with you. Thank you. All right. So let's continue our conversation. And the question I want to ask you, we left our conversation. I asked you about uh, how and where has the church uh, um, moved away from Jesus' model of manhood? In comparing what we see in the culture what is the picture of manhood most often seen in our society here? Okay. We embrace patriarchy and it's gotten us into all kinds of trouble. I mean, when you think about all of the abuse that has taken place in the American Protestant church, mm. that's an abuse of power. Right, right. And power is intended to be a blessing. And when you look at the lives of these men in the Bible that I talk about in Maelstrom, they end up using their power for God's good purposes in the world. They use power. Boaz is an extremely powerful man, and so is Judah. They follow a different road. And there are other stories like that in, in the Bible. You know, I've written about Matthew, who was a monster. <laughs> you know, he was a he was a tax collector and he was cheating everybody and pocketing the proceeds. Jesus calls him and he runs after all of his friends they to bring them to Jesus. Joseph of Nazareth, who ends up shutting down his carpenter shop and getting behind God's call on his wife. She couldn't do what she did without Joseph. You know, it's just over and over and over again. And Jesus is that way too. He's not trying to take over the temple and he's not trying to beat the Romans. He's trying to please his father. That's what he's doing. In your view, how and where has the church weird off the path that way we were pursuing Jesus's model of manhood and suddenly it's no longer true. What happened? Where, where do yeah, you see? Yeah, where we, is that? I think we've lost our way. And I think that the pull is always to pride and power and control and authority. Yeah. I mean, you hear pastors say this, you know, I have authority. 
I got in, I got into a debate with a pastor. He wanted me to come and talk in his church about the things that I was learning. And um, he kept saying, you know, but I'm the pastor and I have authority. And I said, what if you change the word authority to responsibility? Because that's what you have. You're the, you're the shepherd. <laughs> you, you're supposed to care. You're, it's not about authority. I think what I'm learning is that the gospel and the calling that we have as Christians is more subversive than we would ever imagine. And we have a hard time breaking from our culture and from our pride and, you know, prosperity gets in the way where we're not, we don't think like Jesus. And, you know, the gospel isn't just, it's not, okay, now you've got your ticket to heaven. It's about becoming something radically different here. And, you know, you have in the Bible, God's not always working through people who are important. You know, he works, he works through Ruth. I mean, the, the book of Ruth completely changed my story because then, you know, scholars started saying Ruth is leading the action and she's not doing it for herself. She's doing it for Naomi. And every bit of it is risking her life. Right. I mean, Boaz had to tell his workers, don't touch her. Hmm. What's that about? It's that we look and see what's happening in God's world and we grieve with him. Yeah. And we try to do what will make a difference. And every human being is important to that cause. In the Bible, God can use a child. He can use a woman. He can use a foreigner. He can use an immigrant. Naomi was a refugee, and she goes through all kinds of struggles, but her theology deepens, and it needs to because she's going to raise the grandfather of the king. And her theology is about God's love, his hesed, his self-giving love. And she finds out that it hasn't stopped for her through Ruth and Boaz. And she raises this little boy on hesed. And he passes that on to his son, Jesse, who passes it on to his son, David, who writes, surely goodness and hesed shall follow me all the days of my life. Hmm. Yeah. A refugee and an immigrant, <laughs> a scavenger. <laughs> what is the effect on families when men understand that, all of that, what you what you just talking about, and uh, emulate uh, biblical manhood? Well, I... You know, I think it's a I think it's a battle for men just because of the culture and just because, mm. you know, they do have more cultural power than women have. Yeah. Um, but what you find and a, even the secular world discovers this is that better decisions get made that being the leader, the head of the family, it, it stops being such a lonely enterprise. Somebody else has a stake in this with you. When we were first married, my husband came from a totally different background. I came from, you know, leave it to beaver. 
the stay-at-home mom and the and the dad who was bringing home the bacon and was the pastor and um and that was what I what I saw growing up but he grew up in a with a single a single mom mm. with who had four little boys um and anyway I don't want to get into their story but you know everybody was pitching in to help and when we got married I had you know, my, I think, okay, I know how this is supposed to work. And he's, and he said to me, um, you know, everybody gave me cookbooks for (laughs) wedding gifts. And, um, he said to me, you know, I really enjoy these meals, but he said, you need to find out what your gifts are and what God wants you to do with your life. And I'm not the answer to that question. And he pushed me out the door. I wouldn't be doing anything I do without him. And he saw the opportunities. He's advocated for me. He's Mm. shoved me out the door, you know, again and again. And the other thing that happened was he was a seminary student at the time. Mm. My husband has two doctorates, one from Westminster Seminary and the other one from Oxford University. And he he was just working on his master's when we got married. And I was the breadwinner. And um, he, he came home. I was working at a hospital here in Philadelphia as a secretary. And he said, I need you to type my paper. And I said, that's all I do all day. I'm not typing papers. <laughs> and he said, I need you to type my papers. And he really persuaded me to do that. And what happened, I already had my seminary degree. And what happened was I started interacting with him. And I said, you know, this isn't clear. Or this part really belongs over here in terms of, you know, it was, and it, it changed how he, how he worked. And I began to be a a colleague with him in his, in his work. And I loved it. What happened when, um, and, and we've been that way for our whole marriage. I mean, he's pushed me, you know, out the door to, and it's, it's been life-saving and, um, satisfying for me and happily I can say for a lot of others Mm. um, which is which is a total surprise for me but you know when we had the financial crisis in in 2008 Nicholas Kristof who writes for the New York Times did an article and he's and he said that the economic uh experts in the world were saying would we be in this mess if it had been Lehman brothers and sisters <laughs> because the, even even in the business world they find better decisions get made <clears throat> when you have collaboration with men and women but people from other backgrounds even you know when you make better decisions you you, you have a fuller engagement of the issues and and i think you know i think that's god's design 
And I love the story, most powerful when uh, you personally experience something, right? I love that how, you know, the question I was asking was, what is the effect on families when men understand and emulate uh, biblical yeah. manhood? And the effect is that you are serving and he is serving, your husband is serving. And because of one thing, he was able to see and begin to do that. And I think that's uh, what it takes to change society when uh, family unit changes. Yeah. And one family unit and then the second family unit. And eventually the bigger picture, whether that is the financial industry or education industry or whatever industry that might be, it, it get better and better. What's a few practical things that a church can do to recenter Jesus's example of mas masculinity and how would that how would a congregation um, benefit from it? Like for example, my con congregation, how yeah. my congregation would uh, benefit from? It. I think you have to talk about it and not in ways. I mean, I, I used to have conferences for women who felt called to ministry leadership. There were all sorts of problems they were facing. They would get a seminary education and they might get a job in a church, but they would still be marginalized as a, you know, in, on the leadership team. And, you know, a sort of like they were being done favors <laughs> by letting, you know, by letting them participate instead of saying, you know, there's something that's been missing and now it's here and it's not a competition. It, it never should be a competition. We should want our brothers to be the best they can be. And, um, and they should want that for us. You know, we should, we should, people should walk into the church and say, what is going on here? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, it's a team. It's a team. And everybody's interested in what is every, what is each person bringing to the mix? And, you know, and, and, and it's not all that we have to have a job in the church. It's, it's, I, I saw a non-Christian man's article where he said he thought the church that Christianity was was really um, innovative and radical and very subversive because he said, you know, every day of the week you fan out into the community. And I, you know, I tell women everywhere you are is a kingdom front line and nothing about you is insignificant. The kindest, smallest thing you do can ripple away into other people's lives beyond anything you would imagine. I mean, think of the people who have blessed your life that you never had a chance to tell. I mean, there, there have been people or even who, who would never imagine the impact that they've had on me and how life-changing that has been and how that I, how I've passed that on to others. And I don't think we begin to understand the significance and, and the power of a life given to God. You know, it's, it's, I mean, look at Naomi, 
Look at Ruth. It went from Ruth to Naomi, you know, to, to Obed, to Jesse, to David, to us, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, and I, and I, and I don't, I don't, I think we underestimate the power of the gospel in a human life and the impact of it. And so it's not about saying everybody, everybody needs to be, you know, to have a job in the church. <laughs> it's that we, we need to take our lives seriously. And one of the things that's been really interesting to me was another book that was about the importance of business, that the very work that we do when we go to work, whether it's, you know, in a restaurant or in a business or in a hospital or in a school or out on the streets, cleaning things up, whatever we do matters. It's part of a bigger picture. It's what God calls us. He calls us to all of creation. So, you know, nothing is in, it's not just about witnessing or not lying on, you know, telling lies on the job or being dishonest. It's about doing good work on your job. It's everything. So I think when, yeah. you know, when we start to understand that, that, that we've become part of something much bigger than Sunday morning. But we need to be fed, we need to be nurtured, and we need to minister to one another. We need to find out who's hurting, you know, or or who's, they can talk about what they're doing on their job. You know, it's the interface between church and Sunday morning and everything else is, you know, you can't measure it. You can't know the right. impact of of anybody's ministry but this is how god works he works through us that's right uh kind of if listeners wants to get in touch with you what are the easiest ways well i hope people will read my books because <laughs> you know i'm writing about things that have really changed my life and have changed the lives of others and um, and I'm still ask, asking new questions. There's more to learn. Um, but I have a website, and it's just my name, carolyncustisjames.com. And they can, they can contact me there. There's a way to send messages. Yes, that will be definitely included in the episode's uh, descriptions. Um, the last thing, uh, we have this uh, tradition on this podcast because we talk about heavy topics. I like to ask my guests to tell me a joke, actually tell us a joke because uh, uh, the audience, I expect that too. But here's the deal. Uh, I was talking to our guest today and she said, rather than a joke, can I give you a message of hope? So Carolyn, why, why, not you, why don't you go ahead and share that with us? Okay, okay. Because sometimes jokes bomb. <laughs> That's all right. But, you know, for me, just knowing that God is at work, that, and God is going to prevail, mm -hmm. that when Jesus came, he launched the kingdom. 
And we are part of that kingdom. And our lives matter and they count. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the person we think is the least significant may be the most strategic. So I think, you know, that gives me hope. And even when in light of all of the things that are going on in our world that are so discouraging and even the state of the church is discouraging, we have hope because God is not giving up and he never will. Amen. Thank you so much for being on the show again. That was uh, Carolyn Custis James, the author of uh, Maelstrom, How Jesus dismantles patriarchy and redefines manhood. And thank you to all our listeners. We truly could not do this without you. If you learned something, have a topic suggestion, or would like to leave us feedback, drop us a note at oururbanvoices.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in in two weeks for more honest discussions from Diverse Voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. 